0: In my late teens, I had some individuals talking to me about the Bible. And at that time, I thought, what's so important about the Bible? It's an archaic book, and individuals who spend time reading it and studying it seemed to me to be wasting their time. It was obviously, in my thinking, very irrelevant to what really mattered to me. Then God in his grace was pleased to bring me to himself. And I began to see that the book that I thought was archaic, irrelevant, had no significance for me, was by far uniquely the most important book that I could ever possess. We can understand why in the eyes of the world, the Bible is irrelevant to them. Because as Paul says so very clearly, the natural man finds the things of God to be foolishness. And he cannot understand them. But to me, what is really alarming is the fact that many individuals who profess to be the followers of Jesus Christ don't find the Bible to be very relevant or important in their life. So I ask you pointedly, just how important? is the Bible in your own life? Just how relevant is it when you are considering the things that you're going to do on a given day? And isn't it some almost mind-boggling concept to think that in the majority of Christian churches who have gathered together to worship today like we have, the Bible is either absent or has a very insignificant place in worship. So I ask again, when you come to worship, Is your idea that worship is nothing more than some huge pep rally just to make me feel good? Or is worship a time to commune with God, to express your loving devotion to him, and also to hear from God through his word? If you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, you will find that the Apostle Paul made it very clear that when we consider the idea of worship, the Bible is both relevant and absolutely essential for the well-being and daily worship of God's people. As we looked at together last time, as we began studying verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and a similar equal thought one that is attached to the other. And do not be conformed to this world or do not be conformed to the age in which you live, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, the book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul to local churches in the city and environment around Rome, wrote this as a declaration of justification by faith alone. It's his theological development of that important truth. And verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 really are transitional verses, because in chapters 1 through 11, he has established the doctrinal foundation of God's grace to unworthy sinners in bestowing upon them a great salvation. And to Gentiles who did not deserve, did not seek, he provided them with salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ and clothed them in his righteousness. And while at this given time, the Jewish nation is an enemy of the gospel for the benefit of God bringing it to the Gentiles. He will in his mercy yet fulfill all of the promises that he made to the Jewish people. And so Paul ended chapter 11 by saying, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment, unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who is his counselor instructed him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Concluding his discussion on all that God has done for his children, his fulfillment of his word, by the mercies of God, I urge you. Now, it isn't that Paul was of the persuasion that God's people needed to be nudged. God's people needed to be coerced. God's people needed to be dragged along to say what I really want to do is worship God. But what's going on in the days of Paul is the same thing that's going on today. There is an adversary to our souls who is masquerading as an angel of light and what he commonly does is comes up with substitutes, counterfeits, that looks so close to the genuine, to the God's word, but yet are defective in some little point. And so today, people get occupied with principles and programs and everything else, and Paul says, let me tell you simply how it is. Here's what really is involved in walking with God. You give yourself. That's where it all begins, We can't talk about whether or not we're worshiping God unless we first, of great priority, present ourselves as a living sacrifice to understand what is important for me today. What is it on my agenda that I need to do today? Well, in some ways, it's like we sing in that uh, song, 10,000 Reasons to Bless the Lord. The sun's come up, a new day is dawn. It's time to do what? Get my shower, have my morning coffee, scramble and get ready to go to work, take care of all the things I need to do. No, the sun's come up, a new day is dawn. It's time for you to join all the birds in the morning who are chirping out their praise to God. It is time to sing your song again. And as you go through the day with all of its trials, with all of its struggles, with all of its pressures, with all of its demands, you have a prayer on your heart as you enter into that daily activity, no matter what may pass, no whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. What is your calling? What is your purpose in life? The Father seeks individuals to worship him in spirit and truth. Your lofty calling, your high calling, the demand on your life is that you are a being who ascribes praise and honor and glory to the one who from him and through him and to him are all things. I am to be a being regardless of what takes place in my life that offers God the glory that is due his name. And with that, he says, and don't be conformed to the age in which you live, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So now we've summarized what we've looked at before. And we recognize that when you start talking about the sacrifice that Christ has made, that he purchased me from eternal damnation, It cost him his own life that the one who knew no sin became sin on my behalf. What is my spiritual service of worship? Literally, what is the reasonable, the logical, the appropriate expression of my life? Well, it is, Lord, here I am. Use me. Here I am. Make me an instrument of your blessing to others a living sacrifice set apart to bring praise and honor and glory to God and to be a channel by which he touches the lives of others through me. And with that, don't be conformed to this world, as my version says. Don't be conformed to the age in which you live. Don't be conformed to this uh, age now, we've got to ask the question, what age is he talking about? Because the word here is the word for age, not the word for world, which is cosmos. And that's what ladies can easily remember. Cosmos means, uh, you know, a worldly system, an earthly system. And guess what word flows out of it that I said the ladies will easily remember? Cosmetics from the cosmos. It's how you put your face in order. All right, and so he says here, the age. What age is he talking about? He's talking about this period of time, not just May 20th, but the fact that we're waiting for the age to come. And this period of time until Christ returns is a period of time when the world lying in the lap of the evil one is in rebellion against God. And it's got values that it embraces and it uh, espouses that are contrary to the things of God. To be conformed to the age in which we live. Now he says, instead of being pressed into that mold, instead of following their scheme of how they operate, I am to be transformed. How? By the renewing of my mind. So the first thing that we need to see here when it is indicating to us that along with recognizing that the great priority in my life is to be a being that worships and praises God is there is to be something uniquely different about me that isn't true of the people of the world. And the key ingredient is by the renewing of your mind. So, individuals have tried to look at this verse and say well you know people today are characterized by a certain style of dress so we're not going to dress like that we're going to dress back in the 1800s in the way they dressed then or we're not going to make use of some of the technological advances therefore we're not conformed to the age in which i live nothing could be farther from the truth God is the one who has given us great blessings richly to enjoy. And in fact, if all I think it has to do with whether or not I use electricity or I don't use electricity, whether I drive a car or whether I ride around in a horse and carriage, whether or not I wear an outdated style of clothes or I wear the clothes that individuals are wearing today, I don't understand what's going on here. Because falling into the schematic into the form, into the mold of the age in which one lives has to do with a way of thinking. And what will flow out of that correct correct thinking is a way of transformed character and conduct as I go through each day. And this, Paul says, don't be pressured into the mold, the pattern that is characteristic of the people that don't know God, but instead be transformed, beautiful Greek word, metamorphosized. It's a word which the easiest way for us to remember is you used to be a caterpillar, you're now a butterfly. If you're a child of God, you have been metamorphosized. You have been changed in the essence of your being. It came out of what you used to be, but you are no longer what you were. And you are now involved in a process by which you are being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's transformation. And how does it happen? Cautiously, I say, it isn't by following certain steps for Christian maturity. That's works. It isn't by embracing principles to live by. That's ethics. In fact, the command is in the passive voice. Which means if I am being transformed, it is something that is being done to me, not something I do. And what is it that I do in order for this work of transformation to take place within me? By the renewing of your mind. So what is it that I engage myself in, in my daily life? and should be a priority when we corporately gather to worship. Well, Paul made it very clear when he wrote to the Corinthians, and he said to them, you know, your big problem is you're still thinking like men. And in the whole first chapter of 1 Corinthians, he said, man in his way of thinking cannot come to know God because God has designed it, so that man by his knowledge is not going to come to know God. The things of God are foolishness. If I am renewing my mind, guess where my study and devotion will be found if I am becoming more butterfly-ish in my daily life. The word of God. And so why is it that it becomes so hard for us at times to fit it into our day? Why is it that in the majority of professing Christian congregations, we just want a sermon ditty? Don't waste my time with any more than 10 or 15 minutes. Or what we really want is just some human philosophical thought of feel-goodism's rather than the truth. Because the adversary of our soul wants to rob us of what is most essential for our well-being. And what is most essential for our well-being, what is foundational for our transformation, what is absolutely essential for our personal and our corporate worship of God, is the word of truth. Jesus said those that worship the Father have to worship him in spirit and in truth. Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, said, Timothy, I want you to preach the word. You know why? Because the time is coming when individuals are gonna turn aside from truth to myths. Fabricated concepts of how you explain reality. Our colleges are full of them. The human thought process of academia and the great quote unquote thinkers are full of myths, fabricated stories on how we account for reality. And every time I see somebody interviewed by, uh, who was the neighbor of someone that did such horrific issue, deed, they're always scratching their head because they seem like such a good person. Because the fabricated story is the spark of divine goodness within every one of us. The fabricated story is that some of us are good people that may be true relatively but it is not true absolutely for the heart of the natural man whether it is a scholar a moralist an ethical person or a gutter rat the heart is deceitful above everything else. It is desperately sick, who can understand it? And our real issue today is not whether or not we ban knives so someone doesn't hurt people with knives, not whether or not we ban guns so people can't shoot up one another, or even more importantly, it's time we start banning cars and trucks so people don't run into crowds. Those are horrific acts. But what's the problem? See, we're dealing with symptoms and we don't understand the root cause. And the root cause is that men are dead in their sin. They walk according to the prince of the power of the air. They are children of wrath. And they are accomplishing things that are hurtful to others. But we don't wanna hear it. Our culture doesn't wanna hear it. In our churches, we don't wanna hear it. We have closed our ears to the Word of God and having itchy ears. I want someone to tickle me with a tantalizing thought instead of adhering to the truth. So I'm back to my question How relevant? Is God's word to you in your personal life? And how important do you find it when you corporately gather to worship? Because if I am going to be transformed, it's by the renewing of my mind. When Paul encouraged Timothy to remain steadfast to God's word, even though in these last days there will be individuals who will turn away from the truth and teach falsehood, he is to be faithful to his word because all scripture is God-breathed. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, For correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. How about what we learn of what the psalmist said in Psalm 1? Who is the man that's blessed? How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners? nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is where? In the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. And due to the time spent studying and meditating upon, thinking about God's word, look at what it does. And he'll be like a tree. He's the rock of Gibraltar in the pressures of life. He'll be like a tree whose roots go down to the springs of living water. His leaf doesn't wither. He bears fruit in his own season. And this is what's so great because I want to tell you, I hate losing. I detest losing. The man who meditates in God's word, who is like the tree, and whatever he does, he prospers. May not be seen as success in the eyes of the world, but I want to tell you something. I'd rather be the rock of Gibraltar. I'd rather be that tree firmly planted, but the wicked are not so than like them. You know what they're like? The chaff which the wind drives away. Worthless and Unstable. No foundation. And the reality is, ultimately, God's going to destroy the way of the wicked, and they won't stand in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, and the way of the righteous is what will be preserved. We've studied some in Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, as we look at that, it says, this word of God restores the soul. Have you ever been discouraged? You ever been overwhelmed? You ever felt like you've come to the end of your rope? That everything is just falling all around you? You don't know how you're going to cope? The word of God restores the soul, it rejoices the heart. It gives hope in the midst of hopelessness. What am I going to do? I'm not sure. The word of God makes wise the simple. It gives the individual the ability to see reality for what it is and guides and directs the way in which he should go. It enlightens the eyes. Should that surprise us? Psalm 119, God's word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. It directs us in this dark world how we should go. But in all of that, it's a realization that guess who is the one that is to teach us? I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm 119. Even back in the Old Testament, the psalmist understood something that we seem to somehow miss because we want to implement things for ourselves. Look at what it says, verse 9, for example. How can a young man keep his way pure? My life is to be pleasing to God. Why? It's by keeping it according to your word. With all My heart, I have sought thee. Don't let me wander from your commands. Your word I have treasured in my heart. For what reason? That I might not sin against you. Verses 17 and 18 that we had read earlier. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Look over in verses 33 and following. Here's the prayer. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I'll observe it to the end. Do you notice what it said? If God teaches his word to his servant, what will happen in the life of his servant? I'll keep your word. He didn't say, I'll have to go to classes on how to learn how to do what you want me to do. The righteous man lives by faith. And that means I am depending upon God to do for me what I can't do for myself. In the ultimate sense, I cannot deliver myself from sin. Only Jesus Christ can do that for me. In the daily sense, I cannot make myself like Christ. Only God can do that in me. I can become very pharisaical and start putting a lot of programs together and say, I thank you, O Lord, that I'm not like other men. But biblical Christianity recognizes God's the one that has to do the transformation. And through his word, the spirit of God transforms me within He goes on and he says, Give me understanding that I may observe thy law and keep it with all my heart. Make me to walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Turn my eyes away from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant. How? as that which produces reverence for thee. I want God to show me more of his splendor and more of his glory, that as I read his word, I recognize how great thou art. Then look over in verses 97 and following. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. That's Psalm 1, isn't it? Day and night. And your commandments make me wiser than my enemies because they're ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers for your testimonies of my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. Hopefully enough said. God's word is character changing. God's thoughts are not like my thoughts, and his ways are not like my ways, but through his word, he has disclosed to me his thoughts and his ways, and as I meditate in his truth, my mind is being Renewed, like an urban renewal project. All old thought patterns are torn down and moved out of the way. And new glorious buildings or thought patterns are being constructed. And God's thoughts are becoming my thoughts. And as his thoughts become more and more my thoughts, I am being metamorphosized, I am being transformed, I am being changed from glory unto glory into the image of the Lord. And if you understand God's work in salvation, you recognize that his intended purpose in making you a trophy of his grace is to conform you to the image of his son. Don't substitute counterfeits. Only God can bring about that transformation within. And what the spirit of God uses to transform the child of God is God's precious word. So how relevant is the Bible to you? How important is it to you? Not only in your daily life, but when we gather together corporately to worship. Don't be pressured into the mold of this age. Now, the bottom line of what's true of this age, of any period of time until Christ returns, is that the mindset of man is self-centeredness and self-exaltation. I'm not the one that's important. God is. And a transformed mindset recognizes from him and through him and to him are all things. And as a creature, my very existence is derived from him. As a child of God, my redemption has been accomplished by him. And as I go through each day, as I seek to do what pleases him, it's the spirit of God working through me as he conforms me more and more to the image of Christ. And why does Paul say that it's important for us to do this? In order that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable. Now sometimes we have looked at this and thought that, well, he's, by doing this, he'll give me the direction that I need for today. But this is much more profound than that. This is the way I affirm that I uh, come to grips with what God's will for me is. And God's will for me is to bring glory to his name as he conforms me more and more to Jesus Christ. And in that will of God, it's never for my hurt or detriment, even though it may be through fiery trials that he takes me. For the will of God for his people is good. That is, it's beneficial. It's for your temporal and spiritual well-being. It's perfect, it's complete, it's the teleos, it's the finished product. Now, if God's will is perfect, who would want to substitute something less than that? And it's what's agreeable. It's not a distasteful thing to know God and walk with him. There is nothing more pleasurable than to be able to say, The eternal God, the king of glory, the creator of the universe, the one who upholds all things by his power is my heavenly father who cares for me every day. And I am privileged to be one of his children. To know that he is working all things together for my good to the glory of his great name. So if we talk about biblical Christianity in the New Testament church, and we recognize that the whole purpose of God in bringing a people together for himself is that we will be individuals who genuinely worship, adore, and praise him, And as his servants seek to do what is pleasing to him and as we do to find satisfaction in life and the joy of knowing that the things that we do daily, temporally, have eternal significance. And as Paul said, even our momentary light afflictions are laying up for us an eternal weight of glory. What's key? What's most essential? His word. There have been people who have mocked, ridiculed, tried to stamp out this word. But when it comes to human beings, all flesh is like grass. And all the great thinkers of previous generations are gone. Because the grass withers and the flower fades. But guess what is still in first edition and remains today? That the word of God abides forever. And that's what's most essential, most important for you in your daily personal walk with God. That's what's to be the focus in our corporate worship of his great name because those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth that he might receive the glory that he deserves. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your mercy and kindness to us. I thank you so much that not only did you give your own dear son to die on our behalf and that as the living word he revealed you to us but I thank you for the written word which the spirit of God takes in the life of one of your children uses it to encourage to transform uses it to guide and direct, uses it to make your children more like Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray, Father, that you would stir our hearts, that we would each realize how necessary, how essential, how relevant, is your word for your people. To the glory and praise and honor of Jesus Christ our Lord, I pray, amen.